Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT racers to discuss their lives, their journeys, their ambitions and their relationship with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. I'm Chris Pritchard and today I'm riding solo. For today's episode of the TT Podcast, we're joined by our very own Steve Plater. Since the launch of this podcast series, he's been here giving his racing insight and delving into the detail with our guest. But he's plenty to talk about himself, hopefully. A TT debut in 2007, a TT winner by 2008, and a senior winner by 2009. It would be very Hollywood to say he then walked away as reigning champ... But in reality, it was a broken neck that put stop to his uh, his road racing career. I don't know if you should laugh about that or not, Steve. Still, road racing's loss is broadcasting's gain. And since 2011, he's been guiding the TT viewers through the action as a pundit on the race highlights and now the TT Plus live coverage. Steve Plater, I feel like I've lost my wingman, but I've gained an amazing guest. Morning, Matt. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, hey, listeners, I don't know where this chat's going to go. I don't know how it's going to be, but hopefully we're going to get a lot of insight, right, Steve? Right, yeah, but before we start, I didn't get a lot to eat. Can I get a chicken sandwich, please? Unbelievable. I've heard you're the man. <laughs> no one's going to understand what that means now. Hey, but... No, 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 that's, that was my little lucky joke. Um, <laughs> no, it's good to be here, mate. It feels weird, you know, because we've done quite a lot of podcasts now, the daily ones that are TT and everything else, and I'm sat opposite having questions. Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't know. I'm a little bit nervous about what you're going to ask me. Well, unfortunately, I, I dug and dug and dug, but didn't find anything to um, to kind of hold your ransom to. So you're pretty. I think you're pretty safe, I'm unless you squeaky you're th- clean. Unless you throw yourself under the bus, which we hopefully will get to. Um, obviously, we start the TT podcast with the question, and we get to ask you the question this time. Can you remember that far back? Is it still in colour when you think about it? <laughs> During the war. <laughs> <laughs> During the war, getting that tap on the shoulder. <laughs> no, what a feeling, you know. It, it, you, can, so, you rem- can you remember it? Yeah, of course you can. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago, cheeky flipping. All right, but it was long enough ago. But No, it was, but it, but, but because it's so different to any other aspect of racing, it's it, it's huge and, and, and it's something you never forget. But I wasn't one of those kind of riders or competitors that was too worried about what was going on around me, as in with the atmosphere and the nervousness of the team members, which is quite normal on, on a TT on, on up on the um, Glen Crutcher Road before the start of a race. Um, I just wanted to get on with it, a little bit like a flipping gladiator to a certain degree, walking mm-hmm. around and just wanted to get on with the thing. Now, for me... Um, you know, we, we, we obviously speak and all the riders and racers are asked the same kind of questions. And I'm a little bit like foggy. It was, an, it was a, for me, it was nice to hear him say the same thing. I hated Bray Hill. So the yeah. only thing really that was on my mind was make, I was very nervous about going down Bray Hill with, with cold tyres and a full tank of gas and so on for the start of the race. So that pretty much was what was on your mind the most. But to go back to the question, tap on your shoulder. Yeah, of course. As soon as you get that tap, the pressure's off to a certain degree. It's mm-hmm. just you and your machine on the road. But there's so many things going through your mind. Obviously, you've got St Ninians at the top of the hill, you've got Brayhill at the bottom, you've got Agos Leap, you've got Quarter Bridge, and it's, cause it's not until you get out down to Union Mills, three miles out, that you know things start to get warm, you're start to kind it. of feel good, and, and you get settled with the whole situation. So 
you're quite uptight and the biggest thing is to try and relax. You're scared you're going to kill the clutch going off the line. There's yeah. so many things going through your head, but it's as much a sigh of relief when you get that tap on the shoulder and you can just get off on your own. Yeah, the, but that's the bizarre thing about it because up until that, everything's kind of calm, tranquil, quiet, but then it's not until the the engine's revving its nuts off and you're going down that hill that you actually get into to where you want to be, your comfort zone. It's such a strange It is, concept. and it's alien because, you know, I'd, I'd come from, of course, I was only, you know, I only, only raced at three TTs, seven, eight and nine. Um, so not too many races, and it was really that kind of start procedure was alien to what I was used to. I yeah. liked I liked elbows and uh, you know taking it to everybody else, whether that be at mass start road racing or short circuit. Mm -hmm. Right, let's take it back all the way back because your uh, intro into motorcycling. Again, we spoke to people in the past. In fact, we spoke to Hutchie um, a couple of podcasts ago, and he didn't get into it the normal route that you tend to see kids get into it nowadays. He got into it really late. So did you. So. Prior to getting into racing, what was what was your history with with motorcycling? Did you have any interest in it or or not? All my buddies at school, they were huge into the road racing scene. Um, Grand Prix then it was two, it was five hundred Grand Prix, um, but it, but it wasn't my bag really. You know, it was more um, ovals, grass track. My, my father's friends used to collect me outside the house and and uh, who used to race. They used mm. to go and clean wheels and fill up with with petrol and methanol and and just enjoy the whole scene. So when I was fifteen, I had a dabble at speedway. Did your dad do Speedway then or not? No, not at all. My my, my dad actually, because we, we're from Luton originally before we moved to Lincolnshire, and my dad was um, a test, he did all the development for, well, it was part of the development team for Vauxhall when we lived in Luton. So we kind of, oh, right. he, was, he was into the uh, cars, he was into bikes, um, but not racing at all, yeah. No, no, not, didn't, there was no racing within the family. What, so you, you, you asked your dad to get his mate to take you to Speedway because you were interested in it? Or, like, how did it come about? Um, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things that happens because I live on the end of a... Well, he still lives the same place, on the end of a little village, and, and the guys used to come up and test their bikes in the fields opposite right. uh, where we live, so you got to know them and so on, and it kind of just one thing led to another, really. So you wanted to be a Speedway rider? Oh, flipping it, yeah, 100%. You know, back then I knew I was massively into Speedway, followed it hugely, you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a huge fan. How good were you? Yeah, more natural at Speedway than I was road racing. Really? Yeah, pretty much. Yep, yep. Uh, funny, really, because I used to um, when I was when, when I was fifteen, I had a two valve five hundred Jawa, and it's um, a, a five hundred Jawa. That's the engine. Right. You need some. No, you need some <laughs> education. Two stroke, four stroke, there. four stroke. Right. So uh, you know, not sixty in two point eight seconds. Fast, fast yeah, things, yeah. obviously, and. Um, after school on Wednesday um, was practice night at Scunthorpe Speedway, which is about an hour's drive from where I live. And uh, it's funny because school finished three thirty. Jumped on my push bike and I had my old Parker on. You probably won't remember this, but you zip <laughs> up and because uh, it was spitting with rain, I was thinking yeah. flipping it. So got my bike out of the pub car park after after getting off the bus to cycle back through the village. Had my head down flat out trying to get home as fast as I can. And I just looked up, at looking at the old little hole in my Parker. <laughs> And there was a parked car, it hit smack straight in the did back. You? So that was my first night of Speedway over before I even got there. Brilliant. So how far did you how far did you take Speedway? Um <clears throat> I used to do uh I did a little bit of very a very small bit of racing, but basically couldn't afford it. Right. You know, I was still at school, my father couldn't afford it, so packed in and it was broke my heart really. But um one of those things, yeah. But and since then, you know, I, I teach on I used to teach on Pete both flat track school and various other things and sort of done quite a lot of flat track racing and been on been on the uh 
been on the podiums and on the finals and yeah. So you still got it? Yeah, I was out last two weeks ago at Greenfield. This was flat track and our speedway. Uh, flat track. Because there is a difference, right, or not? Yeah, there is, yeah. Yeah, quite, quite. A, flat track's not as fast as speedway. Right. You know, on a different bike. It's basically a converted motocross bike, uh, converted for the ovals. But brilliant, I love it to bits. And it's just, for me, it's just a big fun factor. So then what happened between stopping speedway and then getting into road racing on short circuits? Um, laying bricks. Laying bricks. Yeah, I was a brick. I was a brick, on, brick for an, ten years. Were you a John McGuinness bricklayer or were you an actual bricklayer? No, I'm a, I was a bricky. You know, I didn't. I didn't read that off flipping television or anything. Watch off, off with his own pet or anything like that. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I was a brick for ten years when I left school. Did, mm -hmm. did an apprenticeship and um, uh, worked all over the UK really. And good money then. Flipping heck, it was yeah. And uh, race stock cars. Um, Did you? Yeah, race stock cars in the stadium. Yeah, bangers, hot rods, various things. Yeah, that mate, that is the scariest thing I've ever really? done. Really, really. You've been down Bray Hill. <laughs> oh no, oh, no. stock cars. Yep, mental. Yep. Well, if you can imagine, right? So, and the crazy thing is, stock. So, banger racing. Yeah. You sat on the grid. You're a newcomer. <laughs> never done it in your life. Um, in a in a in a car with a few scaffold poles as a roll cage. Yeah. Um, fuel tank in the boot. Or behind you, like where the back seat should be. What were we driving? driving? This, I think this was a Mark Four or Five Cortina, <laughs> right? So uh, you sat there, and and someone's bright idea of you're a newcomer, so you go at the front. Brilliant, right? So you set off, yeah. You know, and, and go slower and then faster and faster and faster. Oh, it's so so scary. My first ever lap, I got spun out, and my driver's door was just facing every car coming towards me. Oh Straight my out. god! Incredible, yeah. From that, from I had cars catch fire, and oh, it's just mate, honestly, it's it's horrendous. Was this just to get the buzz of racing because of your speedway experience? Or, no, or a good, a good a mate of mine who I live with, he lived with us actually. He was a British champion a few times um, in stock car. <coughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a British championship for it and world. Really? You need to get yourself out and about. I thought it was there. just a bit of fun where you just try and smash your mates up. Get out, no. No, 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 no. And some of it's full contact, some isn't. It's all right, contact, okay, really. right, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's anyway. So, so that was that. That was uh, my really was my first kind of um, input into racing competition mm -hmm. to a certain degree. I, I loved it in on one sense, but it, but it scared me on another. So that was that. After leaving school, really, um, some stock car racing, various other bits and bobs, just the usual things, you know. Drinking, shagging, smoking, fighting. Just what everybody did when you left school as, I mean, as a youngster. Us. We didn't all do that. How old are we at this age then? Are we still in your teens, early 20s? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'd have probably... Um... God, dear, yeah. It's probably 18, 18 somewhere there, yeah. Right. When I was but there's no, there's no inclination to go and pick up a bike and go short circuit then at this Nothing. point? Nothing. No, zero. Right. So zero. fast forward to that point then. Where are we, where are we at then? Because you well, started really late. Yes, I didn't, didn't start till I was 26. I was actually 25 my first race, just mm -hmm. before. Yes, I was 25, yeah. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because I've had that many bangs on the head, I can't remember hardly anything. Um, you, re you remember everything about me, though, don't you? March the 13th, 1994, that was my first race. Weird, isn't it? How you remember things? March 94. So um, I was building, and the guys I was working with, a car showroom for a company in the hall. And I passed my bike test when I was 17, before my car test. Mm -hmm. But didn't have a, a big bike or anything. And uh, I'd only had a 100cc. So uh, we're building this car showroom and somebody, and, and the, original, the, other, the old car showroom was on the other side of the road. A big national, <coughs> sort of multinational company. And um, 
somebody traded in a GS1000 for a car. I mean, mm-hmm. and so I saw this going on the other side of the road and I looked over and I went to Ed Salesman. I said, what do you think of that bike? He said, oh, we don't, we don't um, deal in bikes at all. So he went really got a clue. He said, um, just sort of traded it and that was it. I said, do you want to sell it? He said, yeah, of course. At the time, that was a two and a half grand bike. I said, how much do you want for that? He said, 750 quid. I said, I'll have it. <laughs> so so nice. I bought my crash helmet into work the next day, rode it home the mm-hmm. next night in the peeing down rain, bolt upright, didn't even lean it over. <laughs> like, obviously, my first bike's 1,000cc. Yeah. How sensible is that? Um, so with that, I rode that for a while. And, you know, like most youngsters back then, I was riding around far too fast on the road and getting away with it. Mm-hmm. Crashed it, sold it. Um, and then... I bought, uh, I'd been on holiday to Corfu and I'd seen this G6R 1100. Right. Nice. So I wasn't into it but anyway at the time, which was the 90s, uh, early 90s. And um, I come home and I, I had, a, at the time, I had an Orion gear injection, which was quite a nice made car, a couple of years old, and couldn't sell it. So I rung every advert in Motorcycle News and uh, spoke to this woman. I said, oh, I'm ringing up about the bike sale. She says, oh, yeah, my husband's in the shower. I said, don't get him out. I said, I don't want to buy it. I want to swap it for a car. She says, oh, we, we're... Uh, we're selling it to buy me a car. I said, do you like a Ryan Gear injection? She says, yeah. I said, right, well, get in his ear then, get him talked into it. So, <laughs> so cut a long story short, I met him in Toddington Services on the A1, on the M1 and did yeah. a straight swap in the car park and signed the logbook. So I rode off, he drove off. Really? Mate, you'd never do it now, would you? Probably now. Yeah, yeah. With with my, at the time, my girlfriend on the back. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, shot off down there, of course, as usual, shot off down the M1 and just to see how fast I can go flat out. No, no, no. (laughs) No, but she had one of those old Alien 2 helmets with a big grill at the front. Yeah. And um, she was a good passenger. And I said to her, I said, oh, you know, if you're going too fast, just give me a bit of a nudge. Anyway, we got just going up the road about 100 yards and she was punching me in the back. And uh, I sort of shut off and then got going again, flat out again, punching me. (laughs) And I I, I managed to slow down to 100 yards and turn around and the the visor had flipped up. (laughs) All the way back, and her eyes were like this, <laughs> like two fish bowls. <laughs> Bless her, God, it's funny. <laughs> so anyway, that was my introduction to sports bikes, and right. then I very quickly got into uh, following Grand Prix at the time, which were my heroes: Kevin mm-hmm. Spons, Wayne Rainey, and Mick Doon, and that that kind of era. Um, to to booking onto a race school track day, uh, sorry, a race school at Cabell Park. Um, Whose race school was that? It was Hondas actually, where you just turn up and you know you paid about 120 quid, and you probably got only got about 20, 25 laps with all their gear, bike, leathers, helmets, right, yeah, yeah. and went with some mates and all the instructors. Oh, you're really good. You should have a go at racing. I'm like, yeah, whatever. They're only saying that to flip and get some more money out. Yeah, of me, they so. said that to me as well. And uh, <laughs> what on your on your pedaler? <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I did a track day at the end of that year. That was 1993, and uh, track days were quite new then. And um, yeah. without realising it, this is on my G6R. Without realising it. Uh, I was really scared. In the, you go to a briefing first and mm-hmm. get, get talked to and everything. And um, uh, I, I was kind of really nervous about it, right? Because none of my mates had come on this track day. And uh, it was when the YZF750 just come out. Well, subconsciously, I made sure that I, all those Maudi ones in the clubhouse, I made sure I found them and beat them on track. Brilliant. Weird, isn't it? Weird owl. Yeah. And then I um, decided to sell my my pride and joy my road bike and buy a race bike and that's how it all kicked off yeah so what race bike did you buy cbr 600 fm fm yeah quite mm-hmm. a nice, like a four-year-old bike and just with no intention in the slightest of doing it for a living or being successful it was just so there's no eye there's no eye on the tt there's no eye on british super Zero. sport there's it's just i Zero. want to go and do track days yeah 
No, not not then because track days were really new. It was just club racing, right? Okay. So uh, which was which was fabulous at the time. A bit of club racing, and but it was just you know going to live in the back of a transit van and getting an old caravan and flipping a few beers in the clubhouse at night time and race your super sport bike next day. Doing it for the social. But I won my first race. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Just drop that in. So, so kind of, but we, and it was all not realising now. Really, not realising how competitive I was myself. Yeah. So it's just sort of yeah. Just so so did you have that comp- competitive edge? Well, clearly not. If you did, if you weren't that fussed about racing at Speedway. Yeah, I, I did, but I didn't realise how competitive I was. Right. You know, so it's just something I hadn't, you know, I, I won my first race, at, not my first race, but a race at the first meeting at Capov. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had a really good first year, won a club championship. And then year two, I wanted, with still no intention of doing this for a living or anything, yeah. just just a bit of fun. Um, year two, I wanted to do like a national championship, move up, but there wasn't one, so I went to British championship. In your second year? Um, yeah, in my second year. And I, I think I qualified 25th for the first round at uh, Donington Park of, of, of the 600 Super Cup. And uh, by the time I got through to Cabo round eight, I was pole and getting on a podium. Really? Yeah. So yeah. you're still on your, your CBR 600 at this point? Have you, yeah, have you I, I, bought, I bought another one, which is, I bought it off the same guy called Mark Ditchfield, who was a good super sport rider in his day mm-hmm. uh, from Rochdale. And um, so I bought his old bike, which was a year old, basically. So you're yeah. funding this all yourself through your brick lane still? Yeah, yeah, and a few mates chucking a few quid in, and oh, nice. you know, um, but things were a lot cheaper then, a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but then it, it, it snowballed pretty quickly. Then, so you've gone from club racing into British Championship. Yep. Where are we? That ninety four, ninety five, in onto ninety six. So then, at what point do you go? Oh, I fancy doing TT. Cool, flipping it. That's fast forward that, really uh... quickly. Well, I'd, I'd also raced the Northwest two hundred, my second year. But again, how does that how does that come about? Because well, I've unless been, you've got an eye on I've it, been to it's... watch the Northwest. Right. Um the year before in ninety three as well, which mm-hmm. um Foggy did the double. Yeah. I don't remember when Foggy came on the podcast I was talking about it. Obviously Foggy come there, he did the double and smashed the lap record and so on. And and the atmosphere in the in, in Ireland was incredible. So I thought, you know what, I'll have a go at that. So I went to I crashed first year at Northwest. I knew Juniper Chicane, real slow crash. Just a stupid outbreak myself manoeuvre. Um, so that was my instruction to road racing, really. Um, but you're still so green to everything there. Oh, yeah, flipping it, yeah. That's... Hey, good times, though. Oh, it was just, yeah. It's just, it was just on a big holiday, really. Yeah. And having fun and, you know, social side as well as the competitive side. and yeah. But still, again, still no ambitions to win. Just no, and, and no, no real outlook towards um, the big one, the TT. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I knew of the TT then because um, yeah. a lot of my friends and, and things had, had been to watch and so I'd not even been over. Um, and then things are moving on really quickly for me um, at British Championship on Supersport and, and uh, I very quickly got picked up by Honda to, to, to race for them. Um, but and, and they were obviously massive at the TT as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I never um, really had any inkling really for that. I think I was a little bit scared of it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And trusting myself to yeah. to keep calm and not be a little bit loose there. Yeah. So so in that Honda deal, how does how does that come about? How far did you get up the the ranks of British Championship before they went? Who's this guy? What's he doing? We need him. Well, after after my second year um, and showing, it's funny. I was on the podium at the last round at Brands Hatch of my second year of racing at British British Championship on the Supersport. And, uh, so this is the equivalent of what we see in British Superbikes now, the, the Supersport class, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Eddie Roberts and Pirelli spoke to me and kind of asked me what I was doing next year. And Dave Hancock, who was the number two at the time behind Bob McMillan at Honda, and they kind of both asked me what I was doing next year. And I was like, well, what's it got to do with you? <laughs> 
Stop being nosy. So I finally, the penny dropped a few days later, what they was talking about and stuff. So I gave them a call back and both of them made contact. And um, I had two free CBR 650 tyres to play with for the following year. How did that feel? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, and all of a sudden the penny sort of dropped. Flipping it, maybe there's a future in racing. Maybe I can retire my trail. Um, so... Uh, I won a British championship that year, which mm -hmm. was a, which was like a national championship, the British, uh, the national British Shell Oils Championship, it was called. And that was in uh, nineteen ninety six, right? Ninety six, and then I went to ride for a privateer team um, called Cab Racing, alongside somebody else with my sort of sponsors, which was Honda and Dunlop Tires and various things, mm -hmm. and then and then got picked up uh, and was moved and and with with Honda signed me up and and basically paid me a salary to ride for um, Sanya Honda. Yeah, yeah. So was was the salary equivalent to what you were earning to the point where you could look to retire then? Or yeah, pretty much. Um, and it's funny because as three years after doing that first race school, I was working on that race school teaching people. Uh, and you know, earning some money obviously from Honda, Don't a good know. salary, and and back in those days, good sponsors, you know, with leathers, helmets, boots, blah, blah, and so on. And so it was, yeah, so it was a, it was weird. Is there weird. any? Because who was it we were talking to? Who was talking about uh, Matt Roberts? We were talking about imposter syndrome. Did you get a bit of that? Because again, three years down the line, you're still relatively new to it. Yet you're teaching people how to how to ride. You must have still been learning yourself. Hey, you never stop learning. Never, yeah. never. You know, there's always little bits because things change, you know, development of bikes and mm -hmm. various things. So you, things always change. But yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it's. Um, but no, I didn't get that feeling. You felt you, like you you deserved to be there. No, you you no, knew you, what you were talking about. You just wanted to prove yourself. Yeah. So you, I didn't. It's not that you felt alien or or on the back foot because you weren't worthy. Yeah, of yeah. Being there, there was probably one point of that. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, but at the time in British Supersport, and we used to do, I used to do some wild cards at World Championship as well. Um, you just wanted to beat everybody around you. That was it, really. Right, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. That was your outlook. And, and like, not that you deserved to be there, but more the case of you wanted to prove your point and, and get by them. Yeah. So you knew you were, you, those guys you were teaching, you knew you were faster than them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So how did it feel then going, and well, not technically handing any noticing, because I guess you were self employed? Yeah, work for ourselves, but there they, they became a point where I had to um, stop working, you know, and concentrate on, because I used to, you know, I used to drink a lot, used to smoke. Did uh, you? Yeah, 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 I smoked 20 fags Absolute a day and flipping. Um, drink most nights, just normal, out socialising, not not heavy drinking. But Again, so, you say, so you I'll, say normal, Steve. I was I quite a lot heavier quite plump plump and flip so I had to once I decided to to kind of go professional stuff I had to calm down and start training but you see for me it was lucky because uh to a certain extent because I got rid of got that out of my system for 10 years before I raced yeah yeah all of that to getting out and about and, and being a bit loose and nut, so you, nutty and it's, it's you brought some professionalism to to the sport then because who were we took again we were talking to someone and um was it Hutchie it was the Hutchie interview yeah when they were all doing, were they all out drinking and it was you that turned up and you were not drinking and you were... Yeah, he was talking about training. Macau, which yeah. is kind of, which has always been looked looked at really as a holiday race at the end of the season where you can mm -hmm. go and you can take your team and say thank you and and so on. And the, and the majority, even though it's, they're, they're still quite serious and they want to win on race day, um, they spend most of the week drinking and having fun, which is great, which is fine. It's a fabulous place, good atmosphere. Um, but for me, I wanted to go and win. I was always, I think because I started racing so late, 
I always felt like time was running out fast. You're so I wanted to get there and win it. Yeah. Um, so I got there and I didn't drink. I did afterwards because you mm. go to Thailand afterwards, you know. Um, got any stories about that? For, for a few. <laughs> <laughs> Macau it is quite a special place. I don't know if you know, anybody that's listening, whether they've ever been. It's, it's a great place. It's a little island just off the side of Hong Kong. Um, incredible place. Great road race. It's, uh, at the time then was the last round of the Formula 3 and the uh, World Touring Cars and obviously the bike, uh, bike race. Incredibly dangerous place. There's no runoff. It's concrete wall one side and I'm carrying the other. Fabulous. Um, but a great party place. I will get to a story in a second. Uh, but a great party place. But it's one of those place, things that, you know, you stay in a hotel, it's probably, I don't know, 60 floors. And the top floor is just, um, well, you've got two two floors probably separated in a lot of hotels. One's a casino and the other one's um, a gentleman's floor where you can go and... You mean uh, a brothel? Yeah. I suppose so, to a certain degree. So, like, you think, right, oh, I'll go and have a look. I'll just go and have a look and see what oh, it's like. I've gone for the wrong floor. So, I'll, I'm, so, I'm so I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just sneak in so nobody will really know I've been to have a look. So, so you go in and you kind of walk through the door, a little bit sheepish, and you walk into a reception area, and there's a big reception area, you think, flipping heck. So, you, you pay a few quid, I don't know what it is, let's say 20 quid. They just give you a key for a locker and a towel. So, oh, right. So, so, you tiptoe through into the big change room. That's all right, get your kit off. Just put your towel around you and, you and you walk into this next room and it's just full of hot tubs. And But what actually what, uh, you know, all, all your locals, Hong Kong and China and stuff, they, they go in there and get themselves pampered. Nice. A lot of the fellas. So they, they get themselves shaved so and washed. It's a treatment for them. But so, so anyway, so you go into these doors and you're kind of tiptoeing in thinking, right, okay, you, go, you walk into these little doors and, and first thing you see is this big hot tub. And a, and a big Chinese guy getting himself shaved and sorted out there, okay. And you look round, I'm not kidding you, it's just like looking across at a British superbike paddock and everybody goes, hey, where you been? <laughs> oh, I was wondering where I was going then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someplace. Yeah. Anyway, let's rewind before we get to that point of Macau, because you're pretty dominant at Macau. But yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get onto that. Because the, the, the British Championship, kind of interests me a lot because of of how quickly you came on the scene how quickly you started to to win on the scene and then move into the tt so 1997 you won the british national 600 championship and then beyond that you started what happened after that yeah 97 i won that 98 that's when i signed for sanyo honda which was kind of the leading supersport team at the time uh, for honda well they had quite a few teams actually there's vnm there's, there's mm-hmm. a few different teams but um uh so I was I won the British Power Bike Championship for them that year on the Fireblade on the Honda Fireblade and excuse me um, was oh, the British Supersport Championship. I I finished equal on points in that. It was a tiebreaker myself and a guy called John Crawford on the uh, Crescent Suzuki. Yeah, I remember. Uh, good lad, good good mate of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. he he won the championship on a tiebreaker, equal on points, equal on race wins. He had one more second place than me. Is that so, it? So he felt like he hadn't won it, and I felt like I was robbed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he beat me fair and square the next year. I finished second again, but he did beat me fair and square. Um, so that was that, uh, 99. And then in nine, at the end of 99, at the end of the season, um, I got the chance to go and test at the Boldor 24-hour race at um, Paul Ricard Circuit for Kawasaki France, mm-hmm. the factory team. Um, but I had to go and test against Michael Rutter, who was doing Grand Prix that year on a V Twin Five Hundred. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, cut a long story short, Michael wasn't riding great; his confidence was down, and I outrode him really. And, and um, so uh, it was between got, you got two who get yeah. the ride. Yeah, 
Oh, wow. So I got the ride and then um, I ended up smashing the lap. There was two Kawasaki teams that year. His lot was in one team and, and from the UK, obviously, and myself in the other one. And I smashed our lap record. At Baldor? Uh, yeah, still stands at Paul Ricard now, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that kind of set myself up to race superbikes, really. Everybody in the UK especially thought, flipping out this boy can actually ride a superbike, yeah. not just super sport. And that's when things changed gear and, and moved on up to uh, moving to British superbikes and so on for the year after. So with, in terms of endurance racing, you ended up doing, what, were you there for 10 years racing endurance? Yeah, ten, well, 10 years, yeah. I rode for Kawasaki France for many, many, many years uh, that was run by a good Grand Prix rider called Christian Bourgeois, a great bloke. Um, and also Yamaha Austria, Yamaha France, uh, quite a few different teams, yeah. So it's a, so where, where's it's a your, big passion of mine. Where's your eyes at the minute? Are you looking, I want to get back into British Championship and go British Superbikes, win the British Superbike Championship, move I was on doing to both. Worlds? Or? I was doing both every year, doing, doing it all. But, so there, was, there, there wasn't a point of going, right, I want to do, I want to concentrate on endurance and win that and dominate, or British Superbikes, you were just like, I'm just going and both. racing. Both, yeah, yeah, pretty much both. Yeah, you wanted to, you know, r race and win at British Superbikes. Um, you don't see that nowadays, do you? I already see... was winning at World Endurance. You yeah, know, I finished second in, in the championship but it twice. It doesn't happen nowadays, does it? You don't, you don't no. really have that crossover. No, they think they're flipping busy when they're doing a season of BSB now. You know, it's um, and it is a busy season. That's not because the, the, <laughs> the season's much longer. But you know, my seasons were always road racing, full, yeah. full World Endurance and full British Championship. Yeah, everything. Yep. The so, job lot, yeah. Obviously, I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, you know, I was underpaid and overworked. As, a, yeah, as of course, always, yeah, yeah. Of course, you were. Of course, you were underpaid. I don't believe that for one second. You're too smart for that. <laughs> so there's a massive gap there between 2000 and then 07 making your TT debut. So was it just? Constantly British Superbikes, World Endurance, British Superbikes, World Endurance. Yeah, and, and North, happy in North that. West 200 and, and mm -hmm. some visits to Macau as well. Um, you know, my, my Macau career started in 98 actually yeah but that was with Sanya Honda but yeah so dabbling at road racing but it was all mass start you know with Macau, yeah. and, Macau and uh, the North West and then um, I'd, I'd won obviously some British championships and was in and out of super bikes and had some really good rides and some bad ones and you know a lot of injuries crashes and up and down and just a normal a normal career really road racing same, same with everybody good times and bad times and um it took me a long time to win at the Northwest 200. I'd, I'd competed there an awful lot and, and loved the place. Um, however, I'd had quite a lot of bad luck. You make your own luck to a certain degree, so mm -hmm. some of it was my fault, you know, and uh, made, you make some bad decisions, ride some with some good teams and good bikes and have bad luck and some bad teams and bad people and have some good luck. It's weird. Um, but once I started winning at the Northwest, I won eight. You, so you just didn't so it was really successful. And then at that time, I, th I was thinking, you know, I was kind of half sniffing then. Um, a, a lot of the teams that I rode for obviously competed the TT as well. And some of them have spoken about it, but I was just too busy as well. Because um, it's, it's a massive commitment, obviously, to, to learn the place and then go and, go and ride and race there for two weeks of the year. Um, but but I, I very nearly went to the Isle of Man TT in 98. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was with Sanya Honda, because they were massive there. They had people like Jim Moody riding yeah, from yeah. and various other people. Um, but um, I decided not to go at the last minute. The bikes actually went. Yeah, yeah. I had a kind of a, had an agreement with back then with the people that were organising the TT a long time before Paul Phillips and his and his management team. Um, the deal was to to go for, for for no money. They wouldn't offer me any money. So, uh, but I didn't want any PR either. You just uh, wanted to go under the radar. Yeah, however, they started to push 
in a big way with TV and magazines and publications. So I said, no, I told them to poke it. I guess you were the hot property go. back then, though, right? 98? Yeah, as he wants to come in through, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. You know, a little bit of a, 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 I suppose, a wild child to a certain degree, riding style-wise. But mind you, you, what you were thirty then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so kind of just shelved it and never, never thought about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after everything that had been going on and, and was kind of ticking the boxes, British Championships and and winning lots of other things, um, I thought, you know what? That's the one. That's the other discipline I haven't kind of conquered: the time trial and the, and mm-hmm. the TT because it's you know the big one. Um, so I was talking with um, Paul Phillips and was looking towards going in 2006, but, but it was quite late in the day, really. So decided I decided to leave it um, until 2007 and go for the centenary. So why was it late in the day, though? Is that just the way it had fallen or is that...? Because for me, when I, if, to make an agreement and go somewhere like that, I want to put the homework in. Yeah. Uh, learn the place, learn the course, which is which is a big task when you're so busy anyway. Uh, well, it's a big task to learn in, <laughs> with, without yeah. doing anything else. Yeah, yeah. So because my life was always so busy doing all the other disciplines as well, um, it was difficult to commit the time to, to learn and then to prep yourself and to get there and to, to be competitive. So had you done any... And prep- safe. Like, have you done any preparation? Because even even though I'm never going to race it, I'll sit there and obviously it's a lot easier nowadays with the internet, but you could watch on boards and things like that. Had you done any homework in the slightest to think of learning the basics of the course? Zero. Nothing? Nothing. Be- before agreeing to go. Right, OK. Nothing, no. So it was there. Uh, and I, I had in my mind what I wanted to do. To, to learn. I'm, I'm very good and quick at learning courses, circuits, anything, but obviously I've not experienced a 37.7-mile course not you know it's all right saying you're fast at learning tracks and circuits but the, the longest one i've been on was the northwest 200 mm-hmm. so which is nine miles so it's um it was a massive task well in my mind it was and it wasn't it wasn't really the um the, the point of you know learning it to 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 try and win it was to keep myself safe to, yeah. to know what section was coming next because when you're learning the Alaman TT course, a lot of sections look the same when you, especially when you're running at 150, 180 mile an hour. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate because running, you know, turn the clock back a little bit. 98 and 99 with Sanyo Honda, the team manager was Mick Grant, and Mick kind of oversaw a, a lot of my career, and he was always there by my side if I needed some questions answering and various things. So he advised me in a big way as well. You know, he's six times, uh, I think six times TT winner as well. So he's he's been there and done it. You know, so he was, good. he was a good guy to have in my corner. Do you feel like you needed someone like that? To, oh, it was to, brilliant. To get, yeah. yeah, it was really good because all the silly little questions, you know, um, that you need answering um, was, was a massive, massive help. So I guess it's different. We look at newcomers nowadays and we have Barty, we have Milky, and they take them through this rigorous training to make sure they've got it. Then they've got the likes of the, the TT Games. They've also got onboards that they can watch day in, day out over on YouTube. How how does that compare to how you had to learn the the course? Obviously, you had Mick, but how did you? How yeah, did well, you Mil- do it? Milky was there when I I started learning, but you know, I was probably a little bit. Um, I'd spent a lot of time, obviously, training on you know on 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 circuits and various not not the TT of course, but on on other courses and circuits and involved at the Northwest and so on. And I just wanted to do it my own way to a certain degree. So. Um, and like I said, it was only to keep myself safe and to learn the sections, and mm-hmm. you know. So I I. Used to go over, spent a lot, <laughs> spent a lot of time going over to the island before the race, before before the event. Why are you uh, laughing? Pre-event. Oh, because I took 
the my, she wasn't my wife at the time, but my, my wife came over with me uh, for one, and uh, was doing lap after lap in a hire car and going round and round, and just and I was walking sections doing various things. Mm -hmm. and anyway, it was was flying home this time, and and uh, this this lunchtime, and I said, oh, well, come on, we'll just get a couple of laps in before before we go back to the airport. So we got up early, sharp as off we went, doing a couple of laps, and and then we come down to the bottom of Bagara and uh, we're not nothing major nothing, nothing like riding we're probably doing 80 mile an hour and just dropped down to the bottom and there were traffic lights just, <laughs> just as approaching them they went to red <laughs> I went <laughs> if you see her you ask her I went through the bottom of Gara through these roadworks uh, on red with cones flying up in the air and traffic lights flying up in the air in, in my eye car and just just managed to get through before the cars were coming around the lights oh. and just yeah flipping in there yeah. and she never lets me forget it now still yeah. I bet she loves you for that. <laughs> so that takes us that takes us nicely up to your TT debut. So I think now is the perfect point to say thank you, Steve. That's the end of part one. Join us next week for part two when Steve reveals some amazing stories from his TT debut. Isn't that right, Steve? That's right. Thanks, Matt. Unbelievable. Make sure you check out all our socials at TT Racers Official.